Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor. I'm Sam. And I'm Justin. You ready to get started? Let's send it! Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 63, and our main man, Justin, is a married man. Main man is a married man. Just got back from his honeymoon. Not, not, but you know what? Three days ago now, so uh, still pretty jet lagged, yes. I imagine. Yes, yes. Uh, we're it's twelve p.m. Bali time, noon. I'm, I'm, I'm rearing to go, as you said. You have way more energy <laughs> than Sam and I both do right now, so we're going to no, be no, no, us no, no, bullshit. Okay, carrying me. I'm talking for myself. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have put your name in in my mouth there, Sam. I am really excited to talk about and ride the wave into this episode. Uh, <laughs> see what you did. Okay. Talk. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. Let's ride. Let's fucking I, ride. Okay. I will. I will do your segment for you. I am not drinking water. I'm drinking. I'm halfway through a beer even before we got in this episode. We have another <laughs> one. I might need to crack a third that I have yes. in the fridge ready to go. This through. is so, this is the energy is, that we have this, been waiting for. Yeah, when you miss like, like I've missed like three weeks now in a row. You know, I've my yeah. I heard your all your shit talk about PTO, but you know you got to negotiate it into your contract really at the beginning. So. <laughs> You know, I'm back and I'm refreshed and I have all the takes ready to go here. So I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited. I hope you guys are drinking too. What about, what do we have for you guys? I'll Sam. go. I'm drinking yeah. some Kirkland Signature Tennessee Sour Mash Whiskey made with Lincoln County Process, whatever that means. Master Distiller Mike Williams, whatever that means too. Cheers to Mike. Christ. Good job, Mike. <laughs> Mike's the man. How about you, Connor? Love it. Yeah, it's not quite October yet, but I do have a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. I figure Ooh. we're in football season now, and this is one of my favorite kind of fall beers um, that you can get at pretty much anywhere, you know. And I, they happened to have a twenty-eight pack at Costco last time I was there, so I was like, oh, no. Oktoberfest in Munchen starts on Saturday, so I think that's very fitting. I think. I see I'm that, and I knew go. that, so that's yes, why you I did. did. It. Yes, you did. Well, aside from that, I obviously didn't know that, but um, we have a lot to talk about tonight. We have three teams to cover. Um, we're, we have uh, a, a Russell Wilson saga to cover and kind of all the, the shenanigans that went down on Monday night. We'll start it off with that, and then we'll talk a little bit about the Huskies um, and their huge upcoming game against Michigan State, um, and then we'll touch on the M's before, before we wrap for the night, but before we get into this Seahawks game and this this result that all of us expected, um, <laughs> we need to talk about the 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 general reaction. We've talked about it on this podcast before. Justin, I'm going to start with you just because mm. again, it's been a little while since we've heard your voice on the podcast. Sure. Were you at all surprised by the reaction to Russell Wilson? from the Seahawks fans at Lumen Field on Monday night? If you'd asked me this a month ago, I would have said absolutely. 
but mm-hmm. with all of the events that came and how pissed people were, all of the media planting seeds that the former players and Pete Carroll saying himself, oh, I'll leave it up to the fans to decide. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but I'll leave it up to yeah. the fans to decide what they want to do here. It's like, oh, man, there is so much bad blood and juice here. A lot of egos. You got Team Three versus Pete Carroll and former Seahawks. And so, no, I am not in the least surprised, honestly. Um, so, when he came out to pregame warmups, that was probably the most, as a percentage of people in the stadium, that was really like really loud booze. But then when he came in um, for the game, I would say it was probably what, like 85 to 90% booze because you could hear cheers from like Broncos fans and then yeah. the, the sure. clueless Seahawks fans, right? There's a lot of Broncos fans there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of orange. But uh, no, I'm not surprised. It's. Uh, I think he was surprised a little bit. Yeah, honestly, I think yeah. so. I he mean, shouldn't I have think... been with all the lead up. No, like, but what you just you know, talked about. But... I mean, I think he expected, and then the national narrative. You, I was watching who the hell Stephen A. Smith and Colin Cowherd reaction. I was just yeah. this up, and they were all shocked. And Colin Cowherd went on about like how the Seahawks fans were disrespectful and all this stuff. But like, I don't know. I'm not surprised given the recent events for sure. Were you, Sam? No, I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, Russell's been a little bitch. Like the last two years, I've said it. I've said it for the last two years when he was here. Like I'm tired of this GQ cover quarterback. That's true. I'm I'm the Russell Wilson defender here, right? I mean, you have been historically. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I haven't liked Russ for the off the field stuff. Connor's definitely been on like... Russ is a bottom dweller quarterback in the NFL going back to what the 2014, I think he said that. Oh my God. What? (laughs) Yeah. Connor didn't like him for on the field. I didn't like him for off the field. So like, I'm not surprised at all because the whole, you know, ring around the rosy team three says this, not Russell. Russell wants to be a Seahawk forever, but team three, Oh, these are the teams that if I were to be traded, this is these are the th- the four teams, all that nonsense. And then I think Justin, your point about you know everything that's transpired in the last month, but the stuff that Russell has said to the media through fall camp, like there's he's talked about being you know he threw shade not only at Seahawks organization and former Seahawks teammates about carrying the team on his back, but he's thrown shade at even the the city like i'm happy to be in a city that wants to win or he said some there was some line that was like i'm excited to be in a city that wants to win and he's just like every turn that he's been on the podium having an opportunity to like say the wrong thing to piss off seattle fans he has and so i think from that perspective i'm not surprised what did surprise me and I think adds so much juice to this is like how much vitriol came out from former Super Bowl teammates of his. That yeah. surprised me. I that stuff has been kept hush hush for so long. All the fact that like Richard Sherman, Doug Baldwin, Cliff Averill, all of these guys are AJ like AJ Wright, AJ uh, Wright, a lot of players there. Or like Cam Chancellor, I think was there. Yeah. Yeah, all of them coming out and like kind of talking shit and being like, hey, Russ, like 
can't eat your cake and or you can't have your look at your cake and eat it too or whatever the saying goes but like that surprised me how out in the open they were just like shoving this loss in russ's face that's the part that surprised me yeah uh, i can't uh i can't argue with that that sentiment i think i think it was the level that 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 came out and just like how blatant and blunt everyone was about it and even Pete Carroll afterwards yeah. said some things like it's yeah. it's always been about the team and it's not about an individual type mm-hmm. thing. Like that's definitely a shot at Russ, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that Pete I I at least from what I've heard, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson never really had like a pregame moment. They had the quick postgame handshake, but they didn't like go up to each other at all pregame. Russ was going over to like previous teammates he was going up to dk obviously and tyler and some of the other yeah. offensive linemen and stuff on 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 the squad jamal he probably said hi to gino, us at one point yeah gino he said hi to i know for sure um but nothing with nothing with pete so i mean those guys are not seeing eye to eye right now and they're obviously on opposing teams right now so uh it it just it all came to a head on on monday night and the Seahawks came out victorious 17 to 16. And I think <clears throat> Richard Sherman, one of the guys that you talked about said it best with in, in his podcast. I don't know if you saw this quote. He was just like, he, he better win this one because if he doesn't, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble because of the iron irony behind how the Seahawks won. Yeah. Justin, do you want to talk about kind of the last? No, you know, someone else should go first. I, I mean, Sam, do you, yeah, go, go ahead. I, either way, I don't care. Sam, go first. I'm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just explain at high level, and then Justin, maybe you can sprinkle in some of the context in your interpretation. But basically, as Connor said, the Seahawks won seventeen to sixteen, and it was a super close game. Really, I think it's easy to write a narrative, a narrative that either team gave the game away. I think the narrative that you're reading is that the you know Broncos fumbled twice on the goal line. They should have easily won and covered the spread against the Hawks. Well, the flip side of that narrative that isn't being talked about is the fact that the Seahawks dropped two easy interceptions on Broncos scoring drives. And, you know, in that, in that instance, like the Seahawks could have won by more. Needless to say, it comes down to the final drive of the game. I think the Broncos took the ball over with like three to four minutes left. Um, four and after, change minutes. Yeah, four and All change. three timeouts. All three timeouts. All three timeouts. I think it was a 10-play, three-minute drive. They get into basically a fourth and five mm-hmm. situation. And, five. and everybody's looking at them. Fourth and five, the, the clock is at like 50 seconds. And everybody's like, what? like timeout and like the Manning cast. If you haven't seen Peyton Manning reaction to this, it's hilarious. He, he made the, the T motion with this. We need a timeout. We need a timeout. He made the timeout symbol 62 times. And they let 30 seconds run off the clock to then call timeout. And you're like, okay, like terrible time management, but like, at least they got the timeout. They didn't get a penalty. They'll go to the sideline and like 
you know, get their fourth down play to pick up the first down. The first year head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, trots out the kicking team to attempt a game-winning 64-yard field goal. And I thought it was a joke. Like, I did, I could not believe it was happening. The first kick goes off. Obviously, Pete Carroll calls a timeout, misses it way left. Then lines up, kicks it again. To McManus's credit, had the leg and missed it by maybe a foot to the left. And then game over. Fourth and five, $245 million contract extension on Russell Wilson. You traded the house to get him. Fourth and five. Let's kick the 64-yard field goal. Needless to say, kind of a controversial decision. Justin, what is your takeaway and your thoughts on that? I mean, it is the one of the – no. It is the worst coaching decision I've ever seen in my life, honestly. Wow. It is. You horrible. watched a lot of Pete Carroll football, too. <laughs> oh, he tried to give away this game, too. We'll get there later. I mean, call it okay. throwing challenge flags where he shouldn't and wasting time. Yeah, out. So classic. A lot of the classic Pete Carroll football there. I mean, we had like That's 35. Game, we had 35 though. yards in the second half, you know, the whole thing. But uh, <laughs> fourth and five. I think there are a few things that you can do there. One, you call timeout immediately. Right, you get your play yeah. in order. Think <laughs> timeout about E. Timeout E. Let's yeah. think about this one. <laughs> Let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Talk about it and get a play. Uh, that would be option one, probably. Option two, maybe you run, you already have a play called. You know you're going to get eight or nine yards. You run that play that you've already called um, previously in the huddle. Um, those are the two best options. If you really want to kick the field goal and Nathaniel Hackett says, oh yeah, you know, pregame, we talked with Brandon McManus and we identified the 46 as our, as our hash mark. That's our, that's our, that's our spot. That's where we're going to go. You don't take the fucking maximum that he could possibly take. I'm like, yo, yeah, that's our go to go in the open air side of the century link or whatever lumen field at sea level. That's yeah. There's a lot of words for that. Um, what else was I going to say? So if you're going to do that, you run the field goal unit right away because you have three timeouts. If you know you're going to run that, you snap the ball with 111 on the clock. That play ends probably around 58 seconds, give yeah. or take. So you run that, probably takes 20 seconds. You kick the field goal, you make it or miss it. Then you have 38 seconds left on the clock. You have three timeouts to stop the Seahawks who can't move the ball, right? So yeah. it's just not only was the decision – just, a, just so much ineptitude in the decision, but it was how the decision was made and thinking that I needed to run the clock with three timeouts right there and limit the options that you have as a team to win the game. It, it, it is just mind-blowingly stupid. So It was like he was... It honestly makes me mad. I'm a Seahawks fan and it makes me really mad. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, just, it's just so stupid that it hurts me. It's bad football. Yeah. It was so bad. It's like you're sitting at a, at a test and there's a multiple choice question and there's like three right answers for A, B, and C and like different varying levels of how correct the answers are. And then there's option D, which says, I'm a dumbass. And Nathaniel Hackett circled answer D. I'm a dumbass. Like he could have easily defended any of those three other options Justin laid out. Like you can disagree personally of your philosophy, but like you can make football sense of those three situations. How it actually played out and how Hackett handled it in no world makes any fucking sense. 
Yeah, that press conference after the game where he was talking a million miles an hour. He's like, oh, shit, Russell's going to get me fired after this one. <laughs> yeah, dude. Seriously, team three is coming for his throat. And Here's it's just so funny. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, uh, Mark Rogers has got those on speed dial right now for sure. He's got the tweet like ready to go or like the text ready to go to send to Adam Schefter so that he can break that news. Yeah. Um, I, you guys did a great job of analyzing and explaining it. The only thing I'm going to add is just the super ironic part about all of this is the fact that Russ wanted, like one of the main reasons Russ wanted out of Seattle is because he wanted to go to a place or a coach that is going to quote unquote, trust him and quote unquote, you know, like he can, he can have more control and more say in what they do on offense and then that shit happens at the end of a game on a game-winning drive. It's just, you could not write a better script for that to end. No. You could not write a better script for that to end. For Pete Carroll and company, the fact, and the fact on the other side of this now, Pete Carroll, after the game, says this win was very validating. And then he, he reworded that like in his press conference you know two days later i think today wednesday as we're recording this he said it was really rewarding or it was the is the morning after maybe he said that but he like he changed the wording on that but you know that you know that he means the first one right he this this win completely validates how he wants to play football which basically 10 times out of 10 almost you're not going to win this game the way the way that the seahawks (laughs) played exactly okay that's not that's not a winning formula okay they defended every inch of turf. Like that's what Pete Carroll's going to point at. Right. Um, but that's I like not, almost 10 times out of 10, the way the statistics rolled out, the Broncos are going to win that game. I mean, they absolutely should have won that game in my opinion, but I think, you know, God, I think maybe, was on the Seahawks side maybe. in this one, which is big news considering Russell. Also, Wilson. also ironic. Yeah. Also <laughs> yeah. ironic. <laughs> Well, um, I think it was maybe because of his little sacrilegious Jesus circle spinning on the 50 yard line before the game. Right. Well, he didn't that do that until corny. the he didn't do that until the cameras were ready to capture it, though. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he they was making sure make the cameras sure. on him for that one. Yeah. Well, uh, cameras, cameras on me. Okay, no, I got. Oh, 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 can we transition a little bit, just slightly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. We could. I yeah. could talk about this for hours, but let's t- let's let's talk about Gino for a second. Let's get into some yeah. Seahawks side, and then we. Can, I would love to. We can like yeah. sprinkle in some Seahawks when we bash the Broncos, right? Um, yes. We'll I... be keeping an eye on the Broncos all year, though. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I don't think they're gonna be that good. I'll get. We'll get there too. But um, yeah. So Gino. let's let's sprinkle Gino. some Seahawks in here. I was shocked at that first half performance. I like the the first drive. I was expecting calamity, honestly. Thirty-one, uh, thirteen was my prediction. Right I out of the gate, on. you were expecting that. Oh, I was expecting chaos. Yeah, but I have to say, you know, he looked poised. He looked confident. Uh, he was stepping up in the par- the the pocket. Well, what is that? You know, and he was finding open receivers. So that was that was great to see. Um, He's making yeah. time for himself and. First half couldn't have gone any better for Gino, honestly. Couldn't have gone any better. Yeah, agree. Where where yeah. I get scared for the future is the second half where he didn't do anything, really, honestly. The he and the entire Seahawks offense. And you know, Pete believes you can't win a game until the fourth quarter. And obviously there are both sides of the ball to this. And this he'll say the defense won, won the game, but 
if you can't, if the defense adjusts and your script ends and you can't do anything off the ball, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to win a lot of games. And so I look for second half improvements and adjustments to be made because that's been a problem mm-hmm. for the Seahawks in the past, but overall, given anything that's happened, everything that's happened and how Gino played, Gino played, I'd say it's a positive, but I'm still extremely worried for the future this season. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a fair take. I mean, I think you have to give credit where credit's due though. I mean, Gino played his ass off in that first half and it ended up being good enough. Yeah. Um, Second, second half, like you said, was, you know, something left to be desired, but I mean, he had a higher EPA than Russ for the game, even with that second half. He had Um, a lower EPA, but uh, he had a higher quarterback rating. Oh, he had a lower EPA. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not what it says here. I but, might okay. have mistyped it. That's I, my fault. That's my fault. Got it. Okay. I okay. Well, <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> Leaving me out to dry here. <laughs> but I mean, he uh, was definitely good. But the I QBR mean, was 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 higher, and mm-hmm. uh, and his and his like actual like the the not the quarterback rating, but the actual like QBR rating, mm-hmm. I think, was higher than Russ's as well. Um. Yeah, I mean, Russ threw for more yards. Obviously, Russ honestly played okay. Like he played, he wasn't terrible. Well. No, he wasn't terrible. Was he? Um, did he look like a two hundred forty-five million dollar quarterback? No, 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 no. Not of course not. Close. But I think that's going to be one of his toughest games of the year. Honestly, are you serious? Just, well, yes. hold on, hold on. Like on on that note, though, we should talk about <laughs> no. the environment at Lumen Field. We should talk about that environment. It has not been like that in years. It's like that's probably since 2013, 14. Probably, uh, yeah. probably. And, and even yeah. more like, I think everyone hopped like the 12s and tw- like the 12th man are different people to me or like different fans to me that seemed more like a 12th man crowd old, than it did yeah. a 12s crowd. It didn't seem like the bandwagon 2012, 13, 14, sexy Seahawks crowd. It seemed like the old school eighties, nineties and like mid two thousands Holmgren Seahawks fans to me. And I think something has to be said about the fact tickets are cheaper now. They weren't that cheap for that game, but I mean, they're still cheaper than they have been that some of these fans are kind of coming out of the woodwork that like used to, it used to be like big Seahawks fans, but then the ticket prices were just outrageous. And I think a lot of those fans share the same sentiment that Sam and I do about like Russ and how the team was just like, doing the same thing over and over again every year that at least this year is going to be different. And I think that's refreshing to a lot of fans. I think we've expressed this, that on this podcast and it's probably going to suck <laughs> for a large portion of the year. Like they're not going to be a, a, a very good team this year. I think we all know that, but for them to come out in that fashion for that game against Russell Wilson in his first game, again, like back against the Seahawks and in, in a different team, in a different uniform, I think was just pretty cool to see. I don't know. I, and I mean, it was loud there. (laughs) Like it was loud. And uh, I know that the ratings were off the charts for this game too, TV wise as well. Um, And man, they couldn't have planned that better. Cause that, I mean, that was just a hell of a show. It, it wasn't sexy offense or anything, 17 to 16. That's not, you know, the Rams chiefs game that, you look forward to every year that's that's a that's a hard nose like that's almost like an old school nfc west game 
that that was. Yeah, that's three points in the second half kind of game. <laughs> yeah, right. I but think the anyway, ratings. I saw a tweet about the ratings for Monday Night Football being like the second best all time, and it was like the tweet that I saw was attributed to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman being on the call. I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, oh yeah, people are tuning into this game because of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. I will I say the old ESPN crew is ass, but that's true. Um, but yeah, and and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, as much as I hate them, were better than those guys were. Um, just because those guys don't. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you probably want to have fun watching the game, that's the way to do it. I don't know if that's the way to watch a game that you like that your team's in that you care about yeah i, I didn't watch there's it. too yeah. much distract there's too much distracting humor i think on it um yeah to really pay attention to the game but if you're if you're a bystander watching you know, you're a neutral fan watching a game i think it's very entertaining it's it's good content so we talked a little bit about, about gino um and we we left out the the famous quote of the night though yeah i loved that by the way i loved that uh yeah so after the game, Gino's Gino is you have you have to feel good for this guy. Obviously, like I'll I'll backstory oh, this. Yeah. Like eight years not being a starter now at this point. Um, and you know, summation by Gino Smith himself. They wrote me off. I ain't right back though. So, you know, like he's getting a second opportunity, third, fourth, whatever you want to call it. But he's getting he's getting an opportunity here. And I mean, he ran with it on on Monday night. He didn't do it super convincingly or anything like that. But that first half was damn impressive. And if he can play like that one half a game, Seahawks are going to win some games this year. You know, that's well, good enough to win. Like they, they have an easy enough schedule. They're going to win a few games this year. I got to jump in on the Gino first half versus second half stuff, because I think that's probably, in my opinion, I think it's exaggerating the difference between two halves a little bit. And you look at the second sure. half, the Seahawks had four possessions, one of which was kneeling the ball out. So cancel that out. You have yeah. three possessions in the second half. First one was fumbled away, not Geno's fault. Then yep. the second one was a not good drive, nine plays, 16 yards, and a punt, however you figure that. And then the next drive, three plays, go backwards, six yards, and punt. So, like, I just feel like, I got to defend Gino a little bit. It's not that he, it's more that he had two bad drives than a bad half, in my opinion. I mean, at the end of the day, when you score 17 points, it's not, and 253 yards of offense, it's not a blistering offensive performance. No, I, I, I agree. I just don't, I think painting it like Gino was on fire the first half and Gino sucked ass the second half isn't painting the inaccurate picture i think the second half struggles had more to do than gino yeah i mean fumbling the ball away yeah i mean the defense was on the field for a long time in the second half right i mean there's long drives where there's two fumbles consecutive drives for the broncos on the one right those were long drives a lot of time of possession a lot of time the defense was on the field so yeah God, how many penalties did the Broncos have too? God, they really shot That's themselves the in the foot. Yeah. yeah. But Russell Wilson coach team is pretty undisciplined. <laughs> I mean, Nathaniel I appreciate Hackett, you bring that up. <laughs> I think Nathaniel Hackett's over 50% of that for sure. I mean, 
Oof. Okay, but, this is a point I was going to bring par- up earlier. They're partners. They're partners. And, they're, and I know, partners. I know, we talked about getting off the Broncos thing, but like I just oh, have to say now. it yeah. because this we're going to keep come coming back. back. This is going to come back in even the Husky mm-hmm. section if we talk about the Oregon Ducks at all. Like the fact that the whole narrative this offseason was that Russell Wilson was joining forces with an offensive guru, first year head coach, and Nathaniel Oof. Hackett is is such a naive and stupid clickbaity narrative he's never been a head coach before and how does he get the name of being an offensive guru he was the offensive coordinator in green bay he's not doing shit for the offense there under lafleur lafleur calls the plays hackett didn't and aaron Rodgers. if anybody else is calling plays it's aaron Rodgers, not hackett so like this idea that russ was going to like this proven Mike Shanahan, Schottenheimer, Holmgren offensive guru, not happening. It's not like the Packers in clutch situations have lit it up in the playoffs either. As exactly. Aaron Rodgers with Nathaniel Hackett, what did they score? 10 or something? I mean, I know there was weather involved, but against the 49ers as a number one seed. That's yeah. Not good enough. Anyways, I just felt like I had to say that because it grinds my gears and also Oregon has the very similar situation on both sides. Head coach, same thing. Offensive coordinator, same thing. Like they never have actually called plays. We'll talk and plenty Oregon about Ducks suck. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk plenty about Oregon in uh, about a, a month and weeks. a half here. Well, a month and a half. Isn't it November something six or something that we actually play them? Yeah. We might mention them next week when they lose to BYU by 10, but it's neither here nor there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Who am I kidding? We're going to talk about Oregon pretty much every week. Um, right, we're off the rails. We got to yeah. bring this thing back. Players Come, that stood out. Coming, yeah, coming back to the Hawks, we talked plenty about plenty about Gino, but we should talk about some of the other players that stood out on the Hawks. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't just Gino winning that game on on a Monday, Monday night, but um, Justin, who were some players maybe on the off- offensive side of the ball that mm. stood out to you other than Gino, um, just as you were watching that game on, on Monday in your jet leg state? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just do two. So I leave room for you guys. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised by the tackles in the yeah. first game. Abe Lucas particularly, but both Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, especially Charles Cross in the first half. I mean, Bradley Chubb is not a slouch, right? He is a mm-hmm. very good defensive player, probably top five pass rusher in the NFL. I mean, I, you could do it, but I mean, he's in the top 10. Let's go there. He's, he's yeah, yeah he's, yes. he's, he's an elite pass rusher. rusher. Yes. And Charles Cross held his own. I mean, I know Bradley Chubb got to the quarterback a couple times late in the game. I mean, at it's end, hard yeah. to, it's hard to keep him at bay the whole game, but right. Charles Cross and then Abe Lucas, both in pass and rush blocking. I, I, I was super impressed by them and giving Gino the space and time to sit in the pocket. And also on one of the sacks, I thought Gino could have stepped up as well. And so I thought they, they had a great performance and that's one of the lines that PFF and all of them say, it's going to be like the 31st to 29th best line in the nfl so everyone says they're going to be bad and you know maybe they'll hey, get better like not me. just them you were saying i was just about bad. to say that so yeah. i thought they were going to be bad right away and maybe get better towards the last game of the season or something like that but i i thought they're gonna be sure. terrible but you know they were i was wrong so far i mean we'll see there's a lot of good pass rushers to be had here but yeah 
And through one week, they held their own, and they were very good. And I think that also adds to the irony of the whole Russell Wilson drama. Too, oh, right? God, yeah. Like, that, that that's one sure. of Russell's <laughs> biggest qualms of his time in Seattle, and one of the biggest reasons he's quoted to have wanting to leave was never feeling like he was protected by a good offensive line. And, you know, GM Snyder and Pete Carroll never invested in the offensive line. Well, go out and use two of our first three draft picks on bookend tackles that for all intents and purposes through preseason and week one look like the real deal. So like that just add, I mean, Connor, I think you kind of said it earlier, like from a Seahawks fan perspective and like a short-term anti-Russell Wilson fan perspective, every game store, every storyline in this game lined up perfectly. And like the fact that our offensive line looked good is just adds fuel to that fire yeah i mean literally pete carroll was jizzing his pants all of monday oh my god oh yeah yeah. it was a mess down there could not have gone i'm sorry mom i'm sorry mom but like that happened for sure you you saw you saw that clip after the the missed field goal like (laughs) yeah pete is blowing his load in his pants good thing he's like borderline senile and probably where it depends so it's not a problem yeah <laughs> <laughs> right he's probably got a kirkland signature pack in the locker room <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man oh that's good okay sam maybe on the defensive sam, side of the ball yeah who, uh, say we're some deep <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh two names that really stood out to me on the defensive side of the ball one of them is obvious i'm not going to mention them i'll leave that for connor but two names How do you guys lose one... stuff for me i don't care well i want to because it's not who i want to talk about okay that's fine that's that's fine don't just yeah. leave stuff for me though that's yeah, fine. It's just being polite the seahawks had okay. the nfc defensive player of the week but i don't want to talk about that person who yeah. I want to talk about is Cody Barton played a hell of a game. Who's somebody that we have been hard on somebody that mm-hmm. I think all three of us were like very skeptical about going into mm-hmm. the season with this being a starting NFL, you know, inside linebacker was going to be very mm-hmm. problematic. He looked great. I mean, his ability yeah. to cover in space run plays down sideline to sideline he played physical made a lot of key tackles he was in on a couple of great linebacker blitzes with with pressuring russell so i just thought all around especially from you know where our expectations of him were to the level of performance out on the field i don't know if anybody exceeded expectations more than cody barton did but i think a close runner up would maybe be Michael Jackson, the defensive back out of nowhere. Like, I don't even know where this guy came from. Is he a rookie? Is he a 10-year veteran? I have no idea. I have no clue where this guy came from. He was on the team last year. But, like, the light bulb has gone on because in preseason he flashed big time and, Mm. like, he had both fumble recoveries on the goal line and Mm -hmm. made – some great tackles and run support 
he was good in in pass coverage. I think he had a couple pass key pass breakups, and most of the big plays weren't given up by him. So those are the two names that really stood out to me. And I think if you're a Seahawks fan, you know, the fact that those are the two guys on the defensive side of the ball that really popped on initial viewing of the game, you got to be pretty, pretty pleased with that because we'll need that kind of production from those two from here on out. Yeah. um, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think the defense, like, I mean, it was the definition of bend, but don't break right from a hole, you know, yeah. like, I mean, they, they got the job done, but they gave up quite a few yards between the twenties. Um, they locked it down in the red zone. So you, you have to give them credit for that. Um, mainly inside like the two yard oh, line. They locked it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, but nonetheless, I mean, they, they, they probably can't play like that every week and, and it's going to, it's going to end well for the, for the Seahawks. However, Sam teased it. We did have uh, an NFC defensive player of the week, which I was a little bit surprised that he was, but I, he did play well on Monday night. Um, and that's, that's the free agent signing Uchenna Nuosu. He had one sack, seven tackles. I didn't I realize that he had seven tackles. So that's, that's pretty solid. And then he also had one of the forced fumbles at the goal line. I think it was the second one that was, you know, kind of probably the bigger one, just because that yeah. like we were really losing momentum there for, for a while. They had a couple of long drives against us. Um, but uh, Uchenna Nuoso, you know what? A free agent signing out of USC. He was with the Chargers, I think, for the first you know few years of his career, or a couple of years of his career. Um, and still, still a young body that um, you know he he got um, he got kind of I, I wouldn't say he got like super paid, but probably more than he was going to get pretty much anywhere else. I think the Seahawks were largely regarded as probably overpaying him a little bit. Um, and they don't typically pay in free agency that much. So they obviously saw something in this guy and believed in him. And he showed out on Monday. So that's a bit, if that's a sign of things to come, then John and Pete made a really good move um, for, for signing him. He obviously fits this defense really well. He definitely wouldn't fit the old defense, but he's perfect, perfect in this. In this uh, it's a 3-4, right? I always get those mixed up. It's 3-4 now, right? I think yeah. so. You go from yeah, line no, no, line yes. to linebackers. Yes, it is. It is. Yes. Yeah. So in this three four format, as an outside linebacker, he's excellent as as a fit. Um, if I'm going to leave anyone else out though, like I I, I do want to give the shout out to the other corner, uh, Tariq Wolin, as well, the rookie. I mean, obviously had a couple of learning moments there with some some PI calls, but you have to be encouraged by how tight his coverage was basically all night, right? He's a little handsy. And I think it's just like him trusting himself, you know, having a little bit more, little bit more sound technique. But this is someone that Richard Sherman's been working with a lot, you know, the last like few weeks. He's been at Seahawks practice and working with him. And he sees a lot. Prepared for Russ. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. The Super Bowl. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how much we're going to see Rich Richard the rest of the season. Like, yeah, I think that was. Like, I'm out. I was like, it was all for job. that. Yeah. Yeah. It was all for that really. But, um, but nonetheless, he's obviously, you know, imparted some wisdom upon this kid because he, he looks smooth. He looks the part as far as, you know, athletically and, and movement wise. Um, he's just got to, you know, tighten up his technique a little bit and trust himself a little bit more uh, and be less handsy. I think as, as the ball's in the air, 
turn his head. You know, that's that's one thing. He kind of learned from that, though. He turned his head the second time after Russ Russ got him the first time. So he'll learn. But I think, I mean, that's that's a fifth round corner that you got. You know, yeah. that's and both DBs, that could be a steal. I mean, Jerry Judy is a monster. That guy mm-hmm. is so fast, really fast, so fast. And so, I, Cortland Sutton's good too, man. Yeah, Sutton's a big dude, but like Jerry Judy is legit good. Yeah. So I I yeah. just feel well, like defensively, fast, like you said. Yeah, I just think defensively, you can't ask for much more than than what the Hawks gave you. I mean, maybe a little bit more stout in between the twenties, but at the end of the day, yeah you're holding a Russell Wilson led Broncos team to 16 points. Like you in the NFL, you hold a team to 16 points. You better win. Yeah. I think the biggest caveat that you'll have before we move on to kind of looking, looking ahead now is like the biggest bummer from that whole game was the Jamal Adams injury yet again. Um, Did we get word of exactly what that is yet? No, it was kind of weird because Pete was pretty adamant that it was a serious injury. And I, I think it is a serious injury. But then he was a little bit more mum about it in his press conference today about like the long term plans. Like they're not mm-hmm. they haven't put him on IR yet or anything like that, um, which seems a little weird um, for for yeah. him coming out and saying that it's that it's a what did they say it was? It was a. um one of the tendons. Uh, it's not. It's not an ACL or MCL though. It's like it's something, something else. I can't remember what they said right. it was. Patellar tendon, LCL, no. UCL. I don't know. No, it was none of those. I can't remember what they said. But it was in um, his knee. I'll look it up. Yeah, it's a knee injury though. Um, and it, it's it's largely thought to be like a five to eight month recovery. So he'd be Yikes. out for the season. Meniscus. Um. No, let me see. Well, I don't know. How much else is going on in your knee? Significant injury. Oh, get out of here, ads. Um, The rewatch part of the game. I don't know why Cody Barton has such a bad PFF grade. It's probably for coverage, right? I mean, let it. I mean, he might have been responsible. Probably. Probably. Made that huge huge play on the last drive on first down where he trapped on the screen. Um, where he got Javante Williams um, to get to second and 14, I believe, on that last sequence. Because yeah. if he didn't make yeah. that tackle, Javante was going for at least like 25 yards. Yeah. Right no, yeah. And Pete talked about that play. Uh, it was a quadriceps tendon injury. Mm. Oh. So it, not as common of a knee injury, but it doesn't sound like it would be, it would be good if that is indeed the case. So it, it, Pete even said today they haven't even – they he said like adamantly that he was going to need surgery on tuesday and then today he said that they're not sure so i have no idea what's going on there maybe it ends up not being quite as serious as we thought but nonetheless you can't you're not going to be able to count on him for the at least the majority of this season at this point i think um which is a bummer i mean it's it's just it obviously magnifies everyone's going to talk about like the trade and everything and it it obviously is is a bad <laughs> on all all fronts now at this point. Right. Um, none of this is Jamal's fault though, really. Like I like we'll we'll give shit to Jamal for like how he. I know Sam, you don't like how he, you know, 
talks and shit talks and stuff after like giving up. Yeah, I mean, you saw it on Monday. He gave up like a 12 yard gain and he was shit talking the guy out of bounds. Um, so like, yeah. and Jamal's just, that's just how he plays and stuff. And yeah, I mean, that doesn't listen, vibe with some people. So listen, I get that. I love a good shit talker. The glove was awesome. GP was awesome. I love that. That's what I grew up with watching GP. He could back it up and he knew when to talk shit. Jamal seems like he just is the opposite. Like he just doesn't know the right time to talk it. Like he'll, I don't know. I don't need to get into it. I've done it before on the podcast, but it just grinds my yeah. ears. It's like, dude, what are you doing? No, for I real. I and I think I think we can all agree upon that. But all I'm saying here is that like the all these injuries are just like freak accidents, <laughs> you know. And it's just it's yeah. not his fault. Um. So it, it sucks. I feel bad for the guy. Um, I hope that, you know, he's able to get healthy again. Some people say that this could eventually, this, this could be a career ender, like not maybe him on the field or anything, but like to the level that he was playing at, it could be, well, could be the end of that. So, wasn't which I mean, so was good last year. Anyways. No, but he was hurt last year too. Like, I mean, he's, he's been hurt basically his entire yeah. Seahawks career and yeah. it's, it's, it's maddening because he only missed, I think, two games, two or three games in his first two or three years with the Jets. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's football, sure. though. You know, it's it's football. This is how it goes. Injuries are a part of the game. All right. So Seahawks win. Amazing night on Monday. I think all of us can agree that was our Super Bowl for the year. Um, <laughs> and it's in the past now. So it was at the beginning of the year. So get that out of the way. Let's turn our attention our attention to ahead now. Like and and does this win make this season seem any different to you guys? You know, Sam, I'll start with you. Does this, does this change things for you? Does it change your outlook for this season? Does it change how you view Geno Smith as a quarterback? Does it change um, how you view where this team is heading? Uh, all of us basically had this team in the cellar. You know, a top five pick going into next year. Where are you at now after that win on Monday? So the score pre- or the, the record prediction I had was three and 14. Mm-hmm. Start off with a Got win one. that I had as a loss, you know, yep. I makes me feel like odds are we'll do better than three and 14. But to be honest, I really still don't see it. I don't see us being very good. I think that, we'll win three to five games. If we win more than five games, I'll be really surprised. So to answer your question directly, no, it doesn't change a lot about my outlook for this season in particular. What it did change for me is how I feel about the trade and the prospect of having someone like Russell Wilson remain in a Seahawks uniform for the tune of $247 million. I feel like, based on what I saw out of Russ and again, like the rest of the season yet to come. But to me, I feel a lot better that we to, to use Pete Carroll's words, very validating in that trade. And like, we, we can argue whether or not we got the right value or not, but like at the end of the day, moving on from Russell Wilson, especially after this game looks like it was the right move. And it would look even more right 
if we go three and 14 and have the number one pick and get the quarterback of our future. So, I mean, I kind of took some credence there and answered the question the way that I wanted to, but no, it doesn't really change my outlook for this season, (laughs) but it does make me feel better about the outlook beyond this season for the Seahawks and that we don't have all that money tied up in Russell Wilson, who I don't think has looked like a $50 million quarterback in probably the better part of two years. So that's kind of where my head is at. How about you, Justin? That answer sounded like a politician on the debate stage where you were asked a question and you pivoted to the the issue you wanted to talk about. Yeah. And then you went back to close at the end. I should, well- I should look for a career in politics. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I think I might get canceled because of this way, podcast. In the nicest way, no. <laughs> um, does this game change the Hawks? The Hawks outlook like high macro level? No, no, it doesn't. I mean, I think I predicted yeah. four wins if I'm right. Yeah. I need to go back, but four, it could be five. You're right. Yeah, I could see five, maybe six at the high level. So my window is probably four to six now, given this. Oh, you're un- creeping up. Wow. Surprising, surprising win. It was, three to, it was three to five before. Now it's four to six the extra win, you know, but we're yeah. going to be bad. I mean, we scored 17 points. We gained 253 yards of offense. Pete's way of playing does not win game, not win many games. Obviously there's a win, uh, yeah. does not win many games in the NFL going forward. And so it doesn't change the outlook. Do I have specific outlook on players that are different? Absolutely. And that they can develop into better players than I thought. And worst players all that sort of thing but overall no a little bit on the broncos though i know that's not the question a little bit on the broncos but the seahawks no yeah 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 um i'm i'll change the tune a little bit i uh (laughs) i know what you said before the game i know (laughs) what you said before the game oh if the seahawks win this game i'm gonna seven plus wins yeah yeah, I'm back at seven wins. Probably. <laughs> We've had quite. The, it's not. It's honestly not so much about this game. It's what happened in week one with the rest of the rest of the division. This division, I don't think, is mm, yeah. is what That's it was. A good point. You know, Ooh, this point. this division is kind of ass. I think Ooh, at this point. To, to expand, expand for our listeners. Why That's is a good ass? point. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to judge the 49ers on on the game in sloppy Soldier Field, like it was raining. Torrential that downpour. field so like, was awful, by the way. A mess. Not, yeah, a mess. I mean, both yeah. quarterbacks had to play in it, but Trey Lance is worse, and so him but, being able to adapt to bad conditions is. Whew. Yeah. That being said, Trey Lance does not look like it. You know, I don't think that, <laughs> and I don't think I don't think Kyle Shanahan thinks that he's it. But there's a reason why Jimmy G captain. is still there. Jimmy G is still yeah. there for a reason. In, in like a matter of three days, they re-sign Jimmy G and then don't name Trey Lance captain. And he, and Kyle Shanahan then comes out like he puts his foot in his mouth by coming out and like being a little bit too revealing, saying that like usually they have seven captains, but Trey Lance was the seventh and they only have six captains this year. Yeah. Or some, something like that. That's That's roughly, you know, kind of basically what he said. It wasn't quite that blatant or like that blunt, but it was... A, a summation was basically that. So they don't trust Lance. Um, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't think he's it. So Niners are going to have a good defense, but I think they're going to be pretty limited offensively. They're going to basically be the Debo Samuel Niners on, on offense. Um, 
Rams. <laughs> I think Stafford's elbow is toast. Like he had off-season surgery on that, and he did not look good. I mean, the Bills are heavy Super Bowl favorites this year. Yeah, maybe not Bills heavy, but they're, they're, they're really good. For a reason, yeah. Yeah, they're 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 really good, and they looked like it. Um, but that being said, too, it, I mean, that offensive line looked like offensive shit too. Looked, that's the big story for me, honestly. Yeah. Um, and Stafford can't move. So that's, that's, that's troublesome. I mean, McVay is an offensive genius. Maybe he comes up with a game plan to combat that, but you can only go as far as your line can take you sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, offensive and then genius. the Cardinals, I'm glad that we put McVay in the same category as Nathaniel Hackett. I totally agree. <laughs> offensive <laughs> geniuses right there. Oh, Unreal. Oh God. Unreal. Yeah. Good, good luck. Suck it, Russ. Um, <laughs> Dude, that's the Sam Adams and then the car- speaking. <laughs> I might have to get a third, like like Justin said, because we're uh. we're we're getting deep into this. Uh, and then it, you move on to the Cardinals, and they have a quarterback that's paying attention to video games more than he is <laughs> fucking football. So streaming on Twitch, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't think this division is very good, and I think all of our division plays like the AFC West this year too. Um, so yeah. like. I'm not saying that seven wins is going to win the division, but it might not be far off of it. You know, I think probably nine to 10 wins is probably the division winner this year. 10 yeah, might I mean, be even. It's probably 10. It. Yeah. It's probably yeah. 10 and the seven. AFC West is going to be really, really good. And the NFC West is definitely taking a step back from like where two years ago. Yeah. 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 That being said, the defenses in the NFC West, I think are still pretty legit for the most part. Cardinals. I don't know about, but. 49ers and they have, still they have, have some players. Yeah. 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 There's some players. There's some players. In, in, so are you in at a hard seven? Yeah. I've gone from one to seven again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm at seven. Uh, I, I think no, your prediction I, was I, five. I, I, your prediction was at five. Mm-mm. Oh, well, like, I'm looking wait, at our official. Our, your official prediction was five. And then you went to one. And oh, did I not change it? Oh, I didn't change it on the sheet. I said one. I know on the podcast, though. Okay. Okay. I said yeah. one win. I I said five if we got Tyler Huntley. Oh, that's right. But oh, we that's didn't, right. But that's we didn't right. get Tyler Huntley. Yeah. Tyler Huntley, I forgot. <laughs> st- it was still Secret it still weapon. could be. We'll see. <laughs> see how Gino does the next couple weeks. Oh my goodness. Because oh, I don't think Drew Locke is the answer either. All right. Well, in a normal year, the Hawks would be looking forward to this next game. They'd be circling this game on the calendar, you know, Niners. Big game, big rivalry. Um, I think we've already had <laughs> our big game for the year. And yeah. we spent way more time on this podcast talking about the Seahawks than we ever thought we were going to this this season on this episode, right? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, th- it's possible that we might still talk about them a fair bit this year. It's going to depend how they play. And I mean, there's, there's going to be some interesting talking points, I think, throughout the year, no matter what. But um, if this the rest of this year goes the way that we all think that it's going to go, um i think it's 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 going to be rough it's going to be a rough ride for the most part um but that being said we have, we have a big game against the niners at 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 santa clara um on sunday 105 on fox not not a joe buck and troy aikman on the call because they work for espn now we already had that san francisco's favored by nine and a half though it's a lot I mean, of points it, Eight and would a half you, on some sites, you, it's moving, but yeah. Yeah, like that's 
that seems like a lot. But anyway, but why don't we just pull out some predictions for this game? Like, and that'll that'll be in and of itself if we think that the Hawks are going to cover this game. Um, not not if they're going to win, but if they're going to cover. So, Justin, let's start with you. Back and forth on if they're cover, honestly. I not because I think the 49ers are a great team. Um, that is not why. First road game in, you know, stadium might be half packed in Santa Clara, you know. Uh Trey Lance in probably not rainy conditions, being able to run the ball a little more and stymie our defense and probably an offensive turnover coming for Gino to get straight games of a backup quarterback being turnover free. Not sure. Yeah, it was a little disrespectful. I'm sorry. Uh, well, it was a little disrespect there. <laughs> I think this 49ers are going to win by six, 23 to 17. Yeah. What's the, you said the line's at nine and a half? Yeah, it's moving though. It's moving. It opened at like 10 and a half and then it's moved yeah. down to eight and a half on some sites. Yeah. Yeah. So you're moving that in the right direction. I'm, I'm with you. I think I've, I've got the 49ers winning 20 to 13. So seven points there. I think the Seahawks will cover. I don't think it's going to be a great game to watch, to be honest. I think you're going to have pretty shitty quarterback play. (laughs) (laughs) And I think to kind of what Connor was alluding to, the whole offseason, as soon as that Russell Wilson trade took place and this Broncos-Seahawks matchup was put on the schedule week one, that was the game everybody was preparing for. That was the game everybody was working out for in the off season. And I think it's normal to expect somewhat of an emotional drop off the following week. And for that reason, I think the Seahawks just aren't going to be able to piece it together on the road against the 49ers. I think it'll be relatively low scoring, not necessarily the defense is playing super well, but more the offensives kind of showing some ineptitude and only scoring a couple touchdowns and a couple field goals. So 20 to 13, 49ers win for me. For me, optimist. How about you? (laughs) I got to find seven wins somewhere. So (laughs) yeah, you do. This better be one of them or you're in trouble. You're in trouble. It's going to be be trouble. trouble. (laughs) It's going to be trouble. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This is it. This is a winnable game. I think, you know, I, I, I think you could fairly say that, that, yeah, it's that, wonderful. that line is nuts. I mean, I'd be going to Vegas in a minute if I didn't have a kid to bet on that. I could, I, I could just go to, you know, uh, what the Snoqualmie casino or, or the Tulalip or something like that and, and place a bet EQC. Yeah. Place a bet on that too. Um, I, I won't. <laughs> start, you got to start Liam's college fund somehow. Your Super but Bowl you know what? board didn't pay I would lay it down. Boy. Yeah, you know what? That's that's right. I'm putting Liam's college money that I won at the Super Bowl party from Sam's Super Bowl party last year. I'm putting that to good use. I'm betting that straight up that the Hawks are going to win. I'm going to drive up to drive up to Tulalip <laughs> tomorrow. Straight well, up Connor, that the Hawks are going to win. 16 is... to 14. Ooh, barn burner. Classic <laughs> NFC West matchup. Classic. Connor, I mean... football. Why stop at 2-0 when we play home in Atlanta and then at We could Detroit? be 4-0. 4-0, baby. Oh, geez. Super Bowl <laughs> we could be running away with the division by week five. 
guys. Right. Connor, doesn't Connor doesn't think it's crazy. Connor doesn't think it's crazy. Gino, Gino, baby. Put the Kool-Aid down, son. You get me talking. I just start believing it, man. All right. We'll put the Hawks in our review mirror. 105 on Sunday on Fox. Hawks, Niners. Watch it if you want to. It'll probably be a pretty ugly football game. But if you're a true diehard Hawks fan, you'll have it on at least in the background. Yeah, might, might pay it. attention, but have it on the background. All right. Let's shift our attention to the team that we thought we were going to spend the majority of this podcast on. And we'll probably keep this a little bit briefer than we normally would, but brief might be kind of a loose term. There, <laughs> We'll see what happens because we got a big game on Saturday coming up. Yeah. Um, basically what happened against Portland state. Do you want to give a get, quick summary, Sam? I mean, it wasn't, there's not much to note here other than your score prediction was mightily close. Yeah. I predicted 52 to three. The, the dogs won 52 to six been pretty close on my score prediction so far hopefully yeah. we can keep that streak going this week but basically more of the same if you weren't able to catch the game but you watched the kent state game it's more of the same the offense with michael Penix at the helm looks totally under control everyone all 11 on the field seem to know what their role is on every play not a lot of penalties or pre-snap penalties just everything running like a smooth oiled machine. Like I, w- I was going to say like you would expect, but honestly coming off of last season, and we don't having know a, <laughs> having a new coaching staff. Like I don't know that I could say that I expected that. And it's been a really pleasant surprise to just see the Huskies win these two games with relative ease. I think defensively. Yeah. We held them to six points. I think that's a little bit misleading. There are definitely some concerns in terms of, our DBs were a little handsy at times with some Portland state receivers, putting them on skates, which probably won't bode well against much stiffer and more talented wide receivers this weekend against Michigan state. So I think basically my, my takeaways are the Huskies took care of business week one and week two in a way that you would expect the university of Washington to do that. We haven't seen the last couple of years. So that's really refreshing and it looks like we have a really pretty damn good quarterback, which is also very refreshing. So um, yeah, I think you're definitely in a very optimistic place. Um, I think the offense looks really good. This The, the scheme that we're running with DeBoer and Grubb, I think, just looks great. The play calling, the timing, the route concepts, everything is just – Justin, I mean – you'll love it i'm back to watch this yeah yeah so like all of that is totally modern day football concepts defensively definitely nervous i think you're gonna see this husky team trend towards like modern college football where defense is not gonna be great and we're gonna have to just outshoot other teams offensively and i think so far what we've seen you feel pretty good about the weapons that we have at wide receiver quarterback even running back looks like they can produce so all in all i think everything looks good except for the stands <laughs> pretty empty <Yeah. laughs> that that i think that'll change on saturday i have a couple takeaways from the portland state game but before, before i get into those i do want to bring justin into the conversation because he has not had a chance to really you know 
provide his insight on the first couple games of the season. And I know you didn't get to watch the game at length while you were honeymooning in Bali. Um, jealous, by the way. And I sounded like that all went well. I'm back, so I'm here. I'm alive. No, it was great. You're here. That's, that's <laughs> it was, good. It was great. Still yes. married? What's St- what, still married. what happens this, in Bali uh, stays in Bali? Or no, some of it's come back home, so that's not good. But we're that's we're good. <laughs> oh. leave, I'll leave that for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, up and to your good. interpretation on that one, yeah. folks. <laughs> no, it was great. But the Huskies, I I was able to watch the detailed highlights and part of the Kent State game, and I was loving the offense oh my god yeah the way that michael Penix was under control orchestrating finding open receivers um you guys will be able to tell me more than i was able to watch because highlights you only see some of the good stuff and not necessarily the boring or the bad plays but it looked like our o-line the highlights in really that well. game were pretty much the game okay yeah, yeah. i mean the o-line has looked really good as, as far yeah. as like providing Penix time to find receivers and granted it was kent state right you know yeah but they did yeah. hold oklahoma to seven in the first half i mean come on um yeah there you go <laughs> uh But, you know, I think that similar to Michigan State's situation, we've played, you know, according to Quint Kessenich, a couple cupcakes so far, right? We did. And, you know, both of these teams, Michigan State and UW, have a big test now playing and blowing out inferior opposition. And so I'm excited. I think that our offense is going to be really hard to stop, but there's defensive vulnerability. So I I think we're going to have a fun one on Saturday. I really do. And they speaking really of be. and Quint yeah, Kessenich, go he's going to be on the call. Yeah. Yes, he is. <laughs> Mark Mark Jones and Quint Kessenich. Yeah, I love who's with guys. that? Is it RG three? RG three now. Yeah, Rod Gilmore's either. I don't know if he's even doing stuff anymore, or he's just he got kicked off to a different different network or team. I'm not sure. Jen um, got him yeah. fired. I hope so. That those guys are the worst. So that's going to be a long one on on Saturday. Uh the two quick takeaways that I have from the Portland State game, these will be brief. Sam Heward looked better than Dylan Morris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All three quarterbacks played. Sam Heward looked better than Dylan Morris. And he's a lefty. Just give him the backup job. Quit fucking yep. around with this. I'm good. I Dylan approve. Morris I is approve. a broken quarterback. Okay? That's, that's, that's the first takeaway. Second takeaway, I feel validated with Cam Davis and his carry numbers in, in the Portland State game. He definitely looked like the best running back on Saturday. Though, Richard Newton looked pretty good coming in at the end, too. So if he is truly healthy, that could be a difference maker as well. Um, overall, I mean, running back room looked better, but it was Portland State. But, like, I think that those are still your two your two bell cows. They should be. Wayne Telepapa is fine. He just doesn't flash at all to me. I want to see more, you know, home run, home run potential with Cam Davis, Richard Newton, bringing the power. Like, those are the two guys that I want to see. So yeah, that's where I'm I at totally on the agree. running back room too. I think ideally you have thunder and lightning combo of big Dick Newton and Cam Davis and big Wayne, Dick Newton put on Wayne, the table. Big Papa Talapapa is your Newton insurance policy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can get in on like a couple of short yardage in, in, uh, situations. He ran the um, wildcat pretty well, so he can yeah. get in on that. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, he's, he's a good no, New- player. Newton runs that pretty well too. Anyway, yeah, he's he's good, but he just doesn't flash for me. I'm just used yeah. to like greatness in that running back room, and I want to see more potential. Yeah, that's all. And I think Nixon falls into your third 
third and long running back wide receiver out of the backfield, yeah. but you're going to, it might be Sam Adams though. Yeah. But it's we'll a good see. problem to have. It It is. Got and options. like, they're going to continue to share carries and split them up a bit, but I'm hoping by like middle of the year, we got two, maybe three guys that are, that are getting the majority of the workload. Yeah. All right. Be able to enough about Portland room. state. Yeah. Enough about Portland state. That's in the review mirror. Now let's look ahead to this big game on Saturday. Obviously the biggest game of the Kalen DeBoer era. No question about that. Arguably the biggest game at Husky stadium in decades. Decades? I don't know. Arguably. Oh, sure. I, I mean, you, sure. okay. <laughs> Clarifying question. Like, pre-game, is it one of the biggest games going into Husky Stadium in a couple decades? I think that's tough. If we win, is it one of the – Is it does it have the potential to be one of the biggest wins in decades? Yes. I totally agree with agree. that. Phrasing. Like, yeah. yes. so like Phrasing, going yes. into the game, like, we've had – you know, big games with Nebraska, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Stanford, right? Stanford, it's... Notre Dame. So like Stanford we've ended had... up being not that good, but yeah. But going into the game, I guess is yeah. So like going into up. the game, like there's some big hype around those games, big hype around some Oregon games in Husky Stadium. But I think like if we win this game, this is definitely a top five home victory in the last. 15 20 years yeah yeah totally yeah sure it, yeah it's it, i think that's number 11 meant. team in the country yeah and yeah that's just bad phrasing by me i'll i'll admit it now i'm a little bit sleep deprived <laughs> so a little bit sleep you know, deprived some, a little bit drunk some, some, <laughs> honor's uh, not on that october time. fest is kicking in yeah. I, I might i'm i'm not i'm definitely not a, i'm <laughs> Feels very much like East Coast time to me right now. Connor's on Liam um, time. Liam time ain't no joke. So don't even, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. Um, we're doing okay though. Uh, <laughs> but th- I mean, by the kick in itself, th- this this is labeled as a big game. 4.30 p.m. on Saturday on ABC. I will yeah. say now, not only is this like potentially one of the biggest wins in modern Husky history or like, recent Husky history, I should mm-hmm. say. We're favored in this game yes. by Vegas. Somehow. We're favored. No so Vegas loves DeBoer. Vegas loves them some DeBoer. Yeah, they do. Like, <laughs> my goodness. I mean, it, what other team at home is going to be fa- – I, I mean, it, it's at home, sure. But, like, favored against the number 11 team in the nation – it either is a testament to like Michigan state has not looked like the number 11 team in the nation. I mean, they're two and zero as well. They haven't been tested just like us they, uh, or everyone's really riding this DeBoer train now. Like it, what do you got? What do you, uh, what are your takeaways from that? I mean, like the fact that we're favored on Saturday is just mind blowing to me, just based on like the principle of us hosting the number 11 team in the nation. We're unranked. I, yeah, I it's hard. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't think it's mutually exclusive. I think both points are probably right. They're probably not sold on Michigan State and their quarterback play, which Sam can speak to more so than I. Uh, and yeah. 
probably they're buying into Michael Penix and his calm, cool demeanor and the fact that he's played them and done well before, right? As an Indian quarterback. Yeah. So yep. I think there's about I think it's just funny, right? You have an unranked team, not only unranked, but didn't receive a single vote in the AP poll. Uh, to be ranked so that means they're not even in the top 40 or whatever going against the number yeah. 11 in their favorite it's just funny to me and just it shows how useless like preseason rankings are. are yeah 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 but that wasn't a very coherent answer. i think it's both honestly uh but sam you can provide a more eloquent football answer yeah i mean i think at the end of the day it just goes to show that vegas doesn't give a shit about what the number is in front of your school name they don't care about the ranking at all at this point in the season. And I think Justin alluded to it, like Peyton Thorne at quarterback for Michigan state, they've played Western Michigan and Akron. So it's like not real formidable opponents. And he's, you know, completing only 57% of his passes, four touchdowns, three interceptions. That's, that's not good. Like I have, I, I'll admit I haven't watched the game, so I don't know those three interceptions, how much are on the quarterback versus maybe, you know, wide receiver beach volleyball setting up for an interception type situation. But like that in a quarterback passing driven college football era that we're in, the Huskies have passed the eye test even against lesser opponents in every single way. Michigan State has struggled to pass the ball. I mean, 57% completion is not good. Yeah. Especially not good against lesser opponents. And a four touchdown to three interception ratio is awful. So, you know, Michigan State on paper looks really one dimensional. And granted, they're really, really good at running the football. And, the Huskies are going to have to stop that. And I guess maybe it's a good transition into keys to the game. For me, the number one key for Huskies to come out successful is to stop the run. If you stop the run and make Peyton Thorne and this Michigan state passing attack beat you. I, I will take Penix and our receivers in a, in a shootout over this Michigan state passing attack all day, every day and twice again mm-hmm. on Sunday. Like, that's how I'm seeing it. And so I think, you know, getting back to the original question, like, yeah, it's really odd to see us favored against the number 11 team when we're unranked and like not even receiving votes in the top 25. But I think if you peel back the layers, Michigan state just doesn't really look like a number 11 ranked team to me based on their, I mean, the scores. Sure. But like, they can't throw the ball very well. Granted, I'm not sure that our pass defense is much better than Akron or Western Michigan anyways. So right. might eat a bunch of crow if they piece up Michelle Powell and Jordan Perryman and whoever else is out there. And one yeah. time UW and Roley, Jeremy Bernard is you know, oh, teeing off for Don't. 200 yards and three touchdowns. Might be, might be a different story. But at the end of the day, I mean... I think that's what it comes down to. I think Vegas sees Michigan State as being overrated and UW is probably underrated. And it's, you know, pretty even matchup and you give a field goal or a little bit of an advantage to the home field team. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I'm hoping that the crowd ends up playing a factor 
on Saturday. And if it does, I, I really like our chances overall. You know, I think if if the defense is able to lean, you know, the defense is obviously, you guys have both echoed the sentiment. I know I have too. The defense is where we could possibly struggle this year and is going to be the weakness of this team or possibly the downfall of this team if if we're giving up too many big plays over the top with our cornerback play. If, if we're able to get the pass rush going, though, with with a with loud crowd noise i mean we saw it on monday night at lumen field if we're able to do that at husky stadium on saturday that's going to go a long way towards towards a dog victory on saturday night and you know i mean i i agree i don't think that they look like the number 11 team in the nation from what i've seen um it's 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 just hard to gauge you know like it, whenever you're yeah. playing such lesser opponents and you know you don't know what the you don't know if they're going super vanilla with stuff too. Like that, that could play a factor as well. But from what I've heard, like their quarterback is not very accurate. So that's an issue, you know, and an issue that hopefully we can take advantage of. Jalen Berger, their running back is legit. He's out of Wisconsin. Uh, he got kicked off their team. I can't remember why, but ended up transferring to Michigan State. He's had a really good year so far. Um, he's legit. He's, he's, he's a solid running back. So first and foremost, like Sam said, got to stop the run uh what are some other keys to the game that you're looking at justin as as we kind of transition into that if the huskies are going to win on saturday and pull off this quote-unquote upset that's not really an upset but like would go a long way towards solidifying what kaylin devore has established at uw so far in his, his brief tenure as the head coach on montlake what what are you looking at as keys to the game in order for the dogs to, to pull off the win well, you know, it's like I said, my, my view is limited to highlights, but like I said before, the offensive line has looked great. And so I want to keep Penix clean in the pocket. So yeah. he has time to hit our great receivers. Odunze should be back uh, as insider Sam told me before the podcast, uh, McMillan, <laughs> McMillan should be there, you know, leading all yep. categories, like I predicted. So, you know, we should be able to hopefully keep him clean um, if we want to win. I didn't say that right. We, we need to keep him clean if we want to win because Michigan State, according to my insiders as well, has a decent uh, pass rush. And so we need to make sure that we limit their presence in the backfield so Penix has time to find open receivers because he hasn't been tested as far as I've seen, really, through two. Oh, years. no. Not at all. No, he hasn't been flushed to the side. He's been he hit like throw. he's been hit like twice. He's just being able to stand there all day. You know, we haven't seen him like rolling to the left and making throws on the run or anything. And so, you know, I don't know. We saw a nice okay. roll to the right, yeah, though. I was going to yeah. say that's ahead, the Sam. one, that's the the one roll to the right. yes. from the Portland State game that we haven't talked about. It is without a doubt the most impressive throw I've seen a Husky quarterback make in my entire life. Whoa! And, and for that, you. I don't think that's an over exaggeration at all. He, a left-handed quarterback rolling out to his right hits a total hole shot on a uh, out and up route to was it McMillan? Yeah, I think it was on an out and up. Yes. And I mean, he's rolling out to the right, throwing with his left hand to the sideline just leading the receiver enough to keep him in front of or be, behind the corner and just like piecing it in there perfectly in stride right before the safety can get over there, like 40 yards down the field. That is an almost impossible throw to make. 
and he made it look so trivial and easy. So I know a little bit off topic there. Like he hasn't really been tested. It's not like he had anybody in his face, but I think it's like, I definitely made a mental note to myself when I saw that, like, Oh, we need to throw him a bone on the podcast. Cause that is without a doubt. I mean, it, it is, I can't think of another throw off the top of my head in the last 15 years. That was better than that from a Husky quarterback. Yeah. yeah and you would think that it would probably stand out to us if, if it did, I don't know. Keith price might've had one in that Alamo bowl where we scored like a bajillion points. He had, but... he had really good throws, but like, there's a handful of people walking. No, he didn't the have the arm strength. The earth that I mean, John Ross that just got open. Me. So it yeah. was just, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, have you seen that, Justin? Did you see that? I saw, I saw it. I okay. saw it. Yeah. It was super nice. So anyways, I know nice. I had to go on my tangent there, but it, oh, you're fine. we needed to throw you're the fine. bone no. to Penix. For I mean, I, I, it's done. We need to keep Penix clean. Yeah. Yep. It hasn't been tested. Yeah. And, and the name to watch on Michigan State's D-line is Jacoby Winman. He's a he's a transfer from UNLV, and he's got five and a half sacks. He's kind of gone on a tear like ZTF did a couple of years ago, yeah. where he's just getting a handful in a couple of games. Um, again, against lesser competition, but the dude looks pretty legit and dangerous. We have not seen a pass rusher like this so far this year. Those yep. tackles are going to get tested both sides, which brings up an interesting conversation that I want to have a little bit with you, Sam. So Jackson Kirkland has not played yet this year. He's likely to play on Saturday, is according to the coaching staff. Likely to play. If he does, what do you do with Troy Fontanu? Because he, like you, you've mentioned, like I mean, the the biggest thing or the most obvious decision would be to just slide him inside the left guard. But you've mentioned that Nate Kalepo has played well there. Um, I mean, you're running out of options. R- Roger Rosengarten on right tackle, you can't shift him over there because he's been like your best, one yeah. of your best linemen as well, right? You can't sit Troy Fautano though because he's been your best lineman so far. But you figure you have to give, you have to give uh, Kirkland back the left tackle, or do you? Like what? Like what do you? I think that's what do you what think? Is, yeah, I mean, the way that I feel about it is. Along the offensive line, the only position that's not totally solidified to me is center. I think Corey Luciano yeah. is the weak link. He played better. He played, he played better, better. But I think but to your point, Fatano looks great at left tackle. Kalepo showing a ton of promise at left guard. Bainavalu is having a really good bounce back season from an injury prone season last year. He looks really good at right guard. And Rosengarten just coming out of nowhere and is like a bookend tackle for the future at right tackle. I'm not sure that Jackson Kirkland just fits right back in at left tackle, unless you can yeah. move Fatanu or one of those other to four right guard. to center or center. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're moving somebody to right guard and replacing Bainavalu. I don't think you're, I mean, maybe you coaches maybe feel differently about Kalepo than I do. And you bump Fatanu into left guard. But at this point, like the, they said the same thing this week that they'd said last week and Kirkland didn't play last week. And sure. The thought process there is like, if you were really planning to lean on Jackson Kirkland as your left tackle against Michigan state, you're going to give him some run against a lesser opponent in Portland state. Right. And that didn't happen. So I, at this point, I don't, I'm not sure that it's, it, it's kind of becoming a little bit of a non-story to me. I feel like, hmm. 
may, that might be different after the Michigan State game, but I feel really good about the five linemen that we have out there. And if Kirkland's back and healthy and he beats somebody out and beats Faltano out, then great. But if he's not 100% healthy, like I'm, I'm not convinced that he's just like 85% of Kirkland is better than Faltano. I don't think that's true. Right. Yeah. That'll be really interesting, I think, to to keep an eye on, though, um, on Saturday and, and the rest of the season, too, because yeah. it's not just about Saturday. You know, like if, if you feel that way going into Saturday, chances are you're probably going to feel that way coming out of Saturday unless something crazy happens, which it could. So we'll see what happens. Um, we have a couple other keys to the game to cover here. Um, one of mine that I had on here, I guess, is just if if Michigan State does do anything well on offense, besides just run the ball, they're kind of a boomer bust offense. They, they, yeah. they're really good at getting explosives and that's kind of what they, I know that, uh, I think Jamarcus Shepard had a really good quote. The wide receiver coach for, for the Huskies had a really good quote. One, one of these weeks, last like couple of weeks that like they weigh explosive plays so heavily because those go a long way towards determining if you're scoring or not on a drive. So if you have an explosive play on a drive, your chances of scoring are X percentage higher than if you didn't. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's pretty substantial in their book. Um, I think they, they have some math analysis analytics stuff that Justin would love, I'm sure. Oh. Um, but uh, essentially, you know, that's, that's essentially how, how this Michigan state offense has run though. And it's, it's been a, it's been a boomer bust offense. So if we can limit those explosive plays, which again, corners have looked shaky. So like, that's, that's going to be a big if I think. Um, but if we're able to do that, that's going to go a long way towards a victory on Saturday as well. Um, there's a couple more on here that we yeah. had to cover. Uh, Justin, why don't you take one of these and then Sam, you can finish this out. Yeah. I mean, looking at, you know, you Sam mentioned running the ball effectively. They also have a lot of long passing touchdowns. So I echo that sentiment as well, Connor, from what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, turnovers win the game as well, right? We don't want to turn the ball over. And so Penix has kept it mostly clean. One interception. I, I can't remember off the top of my head when it was or where it was because of my questionable, if it was his fault or not, well, there we go. Opinion. Even great, even great. Uh, yeah. and, Admittedly, also, if I don't have time to watch you dub, I'm definitely not watching Michigan State. And so I haven't seen like Sam yeah. alluded to the first three, but you know, their quarterback has had a shaky start at 57%. I mean, that's Trey Lance-esque, right? And so they have there's opportunity Dylan Morris-esque. Oh, well, ouch, fair. Um, so there's opportunity <laughs> to pick the ball off. I mean, our corners, yes, there's they're a little bit maligned so far this season, but if we're able to steal one or two interceptions in this game, that could be all that's needed to turn the tides. Yeah, I totally agree. Maybe look for your boy Asa out there. Oh yeah, the best safety in the planet, right? Yeah. Two interceptions on the season. I wouldn't. I, hey, at this point, you kind of got to expect one out of him against Michigan State, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. So fuck yeah, you do. <laughs> I love it. And then I think last key to the game here, one that I put on, I think is super important. And again, just like trying to flush last year down the toilet is it's going to be so important to score touchdowns and not settle for field goals. I mean, you're playing a really good opponent. I think we're going to be able to move the ball and we're going to be able to get into the red zone, but making sure that those turn into touchdowns more often than field goals is going to be, 
the difference between winning and losing this game in my mind. And so I think if we want to just jump right into predictions, I have us winning 31 to 27 close game. Um, but again, I think those touchdowns end up beating the, the Michigan state having to settle for a couple of field goals. So um, that's kind of the theme that I have. I think the offense will be able to take care of business. I think the defense will be able to get a turnover or two and, and we'll be able to win a, a pretty tightly contested game, but maybe pull away there at the end with a, with a kind of dagger type touchdown. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this is, I mean, it's not like, I don't think it's going to be close, but I think the Huskies pull away quicker than you're, you're thinking. Ooh. I, I think, I think it ends up being a pretty comfortable 10 point victory, 38 to 28. Wow. And I think that's with like a guard. I think that's with the garbage touchdown. Like, I think we're ahead 38, 21. Yeah. With like five minutes left. I mean, uh, shit, dude. I, mean, I, I love pumped. that. Uh, yeah. I like that. I think, I think it's close at halftime. I, I might need a pair of the pens if that happens. Hey. <laughs> Why is that, Sam? No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, Connor, I, I, I agree with your, your, um, your strategy there. I think that the dogs are going to pull away in the third quarter, mm-hmm. like a little large, you know, have a couple touchdown gap. Michigan State scores a touchdown at the end of the game, tries the onside kick yeah. nonsense. Uh, I think yeah. the dogs off, uh, offense will be largely unstoppable. I, I think they're going to neutralize the pass rush. 41 points are going to be on the board uh, from Michael Penix. Uh, I do think the garbage time touchdown will get Michigan state to 34. I, I think the Huskies haven't been tested and these are some new corners and there's yards to be had. Kent state found some yards yeah. and scored 20 and Kent state is not a good football team compared yeah. to Michigan state. And so I think there's there's going to be points to have in the first real true test for this Huskies defense. Yeah, I think I think the offense honestly matches up pretty well with Michigan State. Oh, they're going to bomb out of the water. Touchdown, touchdown, just, touchdown. Well, the, <laughs> their sec if 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 they if they have any weakness on, in their defense, it's their secondary, which like is not does not match up well against the Huskies. And so long as so long as so long as we can protect, like if we get Penix, you know, four three four seconds, more more times than not, he's gonna find the open guy in this. Offense. And I think that's another I have, point I have a lot to make. And I think that's another point to make here with Penix too. For those Husky fans that maybe haven't tuned in to see how great he's looked so far, is you know we talk about how big of a game this could be or how big of a win this could be for Husky football at Husky Stadium. This is a walk in the park for Penix. He mm-hmm. lived and breathed in the Big Ten. He's played Michigan State twice. He's played yep. barn burners against Ohio State when Ohio State was ranked in the top five. So, like, your general leading this team to battle, this is, like, just another day to him. So, like, the moment's not going to be too big. So, I do anticipate the offense to be able to start hot and and operate relatively smoothly throughout the game. But I, I you know... I like your guys' score predictions better than mine, to be honest. I love that. <laughs> I love the way they look. It'll probably go your way, though. Like the based on how this season has gone, it'll probably go your way, and we'll be, you know, sitting on pins and needles with a couple minutes left in on Saturday. Which I mean, that's what makes football fun. That's why we watch this sport. That's why you and schedule these games. That's right. That's right. Four thirty so p.m. The- Saturday, ABC. Prime time, prime time, baby. TV. Yep, East Coast Either. will even be watching. You bet. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, yeah, 
I, this would be a big one. This would be a big one. Speaking of big ones, Mariners. I didn't know if you were going Trent. Julio or Mariners right there with that transition. Uh, it, yeah, could have been either way. Could have been either way. But I'm team first. I'm a team first guy. I don't, I don't talk about it, individuals on this yeah. podcast. Right. Fuck you, Russ. Um, <laughs> but Mariners, they're, I, they, they're looking good. They're looking good. And we keep saying it on this podcast a week later, they're still, they're still in a very good position and yeah. they just got the hard part over, you know, of, of, of their, of their remaining schedule. Had a big series against the, against the defending champions over the weekend and pulled out two of the three games, won the series. Got to feel good about that. Um, Sam. You had quite the text exchange with us Sunday as they were trying to pull off that victory. What were we up? Five, six runs going into the ninth inning? Yeah. What happened? Our bullpen shit the bed for the first time all year. <laughs> and uh, Not the first time, but one of the few. Well, have they done it this bad before this season? No, no. The fact that we gave a five spot to a team in the top of the ninth to give up the lead by one. That was pretty brutal. But lo and behold, the boy, the boy, the big one, Julio, the The big big one, one. the big one, I like that one. Julio hits a dinger to tie it up. Unbelievable. This guy is unreal. Like, did you see the broadcast? Like him coming off the field when we gave up the lead? Yes, that was, you saw that clip. Yes. He fucking knew. He fucking knew that he was going to hit a homer to tie the game. Yeah. He's like, I fucking love it. Let's do it. He was smiling, laughing. Well, I'll tell you, you got to love that. You hit a home run 117 miles an hour off the fucking bat. Holy I, shit, I, dude. He I, knew. <laughs> that was newt. Absolutely newt. And then Eugenio just following it up with a walk-off dinger for himself. Awesome. Like, awesome. That's just one of the best Mariners games I've ever watched. Like, I know it didn't yeah. mean a ton in terms of being like a playoff game or anything like that, but it's defending champs. It's a playoff yeah, it's more... team, playoff like atmosphere. Mm-hmm. The bullpen. It's a sentimental has, value of it. Yeah. And the bullpen has been like the lead, you know, leading the charge in all of the season's success. They flounder. Right. And then you have your prodigy face of the franchise face of the mlb player julio hit a dinger to tie it up and then a eugenio who's up to what is he at 30 31 now home runs at 31 now just like after today man you give up five runs in the top of the of the ninth come back and hit back-to-back dingers to walk it off that's special yeah that's yeah Good teams find that's, a that's, way to win. Yeah. And boy, have we. So, yeah. you know, big win over the over the Braves over the weekend. Just split against the Padres, who are also going to be a playoff team, likely. Um, yeah. Or at least in play, are in playoff position right now. A very talented team as well. Um, you know, they're looking the part. They look like they belong. That's like kind of, you know, solidifying the fact that they belong in that playoff field. 
Um, and right now, like we said, they're five games up. I think they're 80 and 62 or something like that right now um, with 20 games to play. So very likely to surpass last year's win total. And it's going to be pretty much right on, I think, what Sam was predicting. <laughs> Sam's pretty good at these classic. predictions. Um, classic. Okay, sure. But it, it's a it's a discussion that Sam and I have had back and forth on this on this podcast, but we have not brought Justin in on this conversation. So I want to I want him to enlighten us with his take on this this uh, seating issue, you know, with the wild card. And where do we where where do you ideally want the Mariners to finish? Like, are you a guy that, you know, I just want the Mariners to have home games in the playoffs guaranteed. So do you want to finish four four seed like number one wild cards that you're hosting the five seed for a three game series guarantee that you're going to get home games for for the playoffs or are you a guy that plays matchups in the future and you're looking ahead and looking at you want to avoid the astros to start with um in the divisional series if you were to win the wild card series like what's your take on this and how do you um how do you see this best playing out for the mariners and and uh what do you think will happen too i want to hear what your prediction is so obviously i think we all agree we'd likely we we don't want to play houston in the second round ideally that sucks like we'd rather play the yankees with all things being equal like we'd want to play the the yankees i don't know if you can plan for that you know like i don't know that it should be the team's goal let me say this in a more eloquent way it shouldn't be the team's goal to shoot for the six seed and play road games when you have the opportunity to play home games at whatever sure. t-mobile park yeah right um i know you had issue with that too Carter. Safe <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah so i personally i think the team shoots for the four seed i think we can get it because of the rays and the blue jays going to be knocking each other off and playing the Orioles as well. So they're going to be taking some L's in there. Whereas Seattle, as you've mentioned previously, has some, has some, has a nice schedule remaining. We got the Angels, we have the yeah. A's, I think with the Royals, the Tigers, I think I, I might be missing a team, but those types of teams are the ones that we have left. And so I think we can go, we can go lock up the four seed. We can win, do, you know, handle our business, win two games. And then, you know, we're going to have to play Houston eventually to get the World Series. I'm not just looking at making the playoffs. We're there. We have 99.8% chance to make the playoffs. We're in. Let's go make the World Series. We're going to have to beat Houston eventually. Get them. Yeah. Let's not play them in seven. Let's play them in five. Let's win three games and be done. Boom. Okay. Done. All right. I love it. I've totally changed my mind. And partially Justin has convinced me. Partially. Just right there. Just right there, I was definitely leaning this way coming into the episode, but mm-hmm. I want to beat fucking Houston. And I know this is how I laid it out when I was thinking it through on the last time we talked about this conversation was, you know, the pathway that most likely leads to the championship series is through New York. But there's a part of me, the competitive nature of me that wants to do it the hard way. Yeah and stick it to yeah. big brother in some respects that Houston has been for the last couple of years and be like, there's a new sheriff in town. Your time is up. And, you know, we're in the four spot right now. I think for the reasons Justin mentioned, I think odds are we probably hold on to that. 
I think there we have a good as chance as anybody to be the four spot. And I would love nothing more than to kick Houston out of the party. And so I want the four seed host the wild card series in Seattle, go to Houston, tell him to take a seat, new sheriff in town. His name's Julio. You might've heard of him. The big one. The big one. The big one. That's what we're going to call him on this podcast now. I'm going to throw, uh, I want to throw a wrench real quick. Yeah. Just real quick, quick question. Sure. Not a whole yeah, yeah, debate. No. Say we, say we host, right? You know, no vaccination issues, the whole thing. We're hosting playoff games. What's our rotation, okay. Connor? Who's your one through three? One through three? Just three? Yeah, well, just because it's a three-game series for the like the opening round. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's fair. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's Castillo, it's Ray, and it's Kirby. Mm. No Gilbert. Like, I agree, I agree. I think those, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, and and yeah, I, it's it, a month ago, you would have that debate between Gilbert and, and Kirby. Gilbert's looked a little bit better the past couple outings, but Kirby is just on another level. That two seamer, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the movement on yeah. that is just unreal. And he doesn't walk guys. Kirby walks guys, or sorry, uh, sorry, uh, Gilbert walks guys. Um, Kirby's just efficient too. Like he, he, oh, he can get yeah. you deeper into a game than than gilbert can and that was on display yesterday gilbert only went five innings and like over 100 pitches so and he does that a lot you know he the the thing that gilbert does that drives me nuts is he'll get a guy oh two or one two super quick and then he'll leave something right over the part of the plate and it's like dude what the fuck are you doing like he trusts his fastball too much and his fastball is very straight like it's it's very hittable um i'm not gilbert's been good (laughs) and he's still good enough like like it, he him as your four is a good thing going to the playoffs, right? Even and I, um, that's what I was going to chime in and say, like, even if Gilbert was your three, do you really feel that bad about it? It's Not fine, really. yeah. yeah. It's fine, yeah. Like you can definitely win a playoff game with Gilbert oh, yeah. on the on the mound. Mm-hmm. You feel yeah. you feel pretty good about that. Um, yeah, I will just say quick quick correction is that Toronto is half a game up on us right now for the four seed, oh, um, they are? just because they. They yeah they've played one more game than us so they've won mm. one more, okay. um, but we do it we have the tie break against Toronto but oh. not against the Rays. Mm. We were in I the four that's, seed that's as of like eight p.m. Yeah, when I no, last then the Blue and Jays then the won. Toronto game yeah gotcha yeah it's it's nip and tuck it's it is it's right there but those guys definitely have a much tougher schedule down the stretch and we're right tied with them now so if we take yeah. care of business it's, I think it's twenty games left so you go. Even if you go like thirteen and seven down the stretch, that's probably good enough. Yeah, and that's that's you should probably expect to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, even I think you're guaranteed to make the playoffs, even if you win only like seven or eight games, basically down the stretch, based on like Baltimore's remaining schedule. So yeah, it all comes down to seeding here. Um, the one thing that I'm going to say here before we kind of start wrapping up for the evening and we'll talk about Julio, I guess for a second too, but um, team wise though, nobody wants to fucking play the Mariners in the playoffs. No, nobody, nobody, no, 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 no. trouble, trouble, Mm. trouble. And it's because of two things. It's because the Mariners do two things. Well, that 
bode well in the playoffs. Like the, this transitions and translates well to playoff victories and play and postseason success. Pitching, check check. Starting and bolt and bullpen. For the most, bullpen's been a little shaky since the Los Bambaros thing <laughs> kind of came out. But they, for the most part, they've still locked it down. And they have like three or four guys that are money almost every time, um, which is pretty much all you need because you'll just wear the fuck them, wear, wear them the fuck out <laughs> in the playoffs. It doesn't even matter. You got nothing past that. Right. So they'll lean on those three or four guys. Starting pitching has obviously been excellent. Like I think the starting pitching, I think, has like a it's something ridiculous over the past like 15 to 20 games it's like a 1.68 era or some shit it's like (laughs) what more could you fucking ask for from this rotation that's with marco gonzalez in there too so and i don't think he's even really going to pitch that much in the playoffs if they make it i think they're going to go with a four-man rotation um so pitching check check second thing they fucking hit dingers the thing, the thing in the postseason, there's a lot of good pitching. Not a lot of long innings where you're just seeing single, double, double, single, triple, whatever. Like, not a lot, lot of long innings like that. A lot of the scoring is based off of walks, base runners, which they they walk well as well. And then home runs. If you can hit home runs in the postseason, you're doing something right, and you're probably going to win some games. So those two factors translate really well to actually some postseason success. So Justin, you were alluding to it. Like this team could go on a roll. Like they, they could go on a run here. It might not just be making the playoffs. They can make some playoffs with some noise. And I mean, if, if in a dream world scenario, if they were to somehow make the fucking world series, like how, where would that rank in your Seattle sports fandom? The Mariners making the world series. They've never done it. They've never done it in I mean, their history. B- below the Super Bowl, because I'm a bigger football fan than I am baseball. Yeah, okay. That's right fair. Below, right below yeah. that. So it I would, would say, be above, like, the CONCACAF Champions League? Yeah, I mean, just because the, the yes. MLS, yes. I, I, I can't say too much. But it's, it's, just, it's a different level. That's what I'll say. It's a different level. Sure. It's like, if I lived in... Oh. Over the I Sonics, I mean that that wasn't in our lifetime. But it wasn't like, in my lifetime, yeah, which is why it's not like I love that. I love basketball, but sure. it's just not as personal to me. I guess I don't get to sure. live through the moment, like you know it's how electric, two. how electric. I think we were all in school when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, right? And how like crazy it was there yeah, and burning the couches. At- yeah, I mean that <laughs> was maybe a little too yeah. crazy. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean that hey, would be. That we're not be trying to get anyone arrested tonight. As far as excitement and the city and the butt, it would be second. Yeah. It's it's above 2005 Super Bowl. It's above 2014 Super Bowl, below 2013. Right, right. But even like even just making the World Series, in my opinion, would be better than making the Super Bowl in 2014 and 2005 to me. I don't know. Well, because they've never done it. And I think that's just for me personally. Sure. Because... I mean, we hadn't done it before 2005 as a Seahawks fan, but like growing up the way that we grew up with Griffey and Edgar and Randy John, like, I mean, I've always been a Seahawks fan, but I, the Mariners were the real deal mm-hmm. for my childhood. And so the fact that like to be able to see them in a world series, 
means a lot. Now, I, I agree with Justin at the end of the day that a Lombardi trophy is worth more to me in Seattle than a World Series trophy, but I mean, it would be something special. And I do think that the team has the potential to make that happen. Yeah. And whether it's this year or in a future year, like this team should be relevant for years to come, which is exciting in and of itself. As long as Julio doesn't go GQ and marry some pop singer, I think. Oh God. (laughs) Don't even like tempt fate, dude. I, I love Julio too much for that to happen. Enjoy it while you got it. Enjoy it while you got it. Shakira's single. That's fair. Oh geez. Stop. Those hips don't lie. Julio, look (laughs) away. Stop it. She's like twice his age. Oh, more than twice his age. That matters. I, not probably really. not. I guess not. But she doesn't Jesus look twice Christ, his age. Dude. That's what matters. <laughs> I guess Botox is a hell of a thing. Um, we should talk about Julio just for a second here. Now the fastest he's been the fastest to like this rate for much of this season. Fastest or second fastest, but now he's the fastest in MLB history to get to 25 home runs and 25 stolen bases. I think it's like 115 games or something like that, that he's played now. Um, And it was 118, I think was the previous record with Mike Trout. So fuck you, Mike Trout. We got a better one. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Mike Trout's pretty fucking good. I think so. I mean, yeah, how long well, I mean, is I, how long is Mike Trout gonna be happy in LA? Is he just because he's making the paycheck? It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. I don't yeah. think he cares. Mm. <laughs> Fair. Fair. If he's been there that long enough, that know. long, like I, know. I don't think he cares at this point. But yeah, I mean, hell of a baseball player. They have completely wasted his career, though. Um. All right. Anything else that we missed tonight, guys? We had a lot to talk about. This was a pretty pretty long one. I know. I think we covered. Kyle's it gonna all. be pissed. Kyle's going to be pissed. Justin's probably mad right now. But, God damn it, um, Kyle. No, because here's the thing. I, I don't have work tomorrow. I'm, I'm on volley time. I'm good tonight. We're rolling. Okay. Let's okay. Talk another so hour. we can go another Come hour. On. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we won't. We won't. Uh, you won't. <laughs> okay. Well, I enjoyed this, guys. Justin, it's great to have you back. Congrats. Congratulations, sir, on, on your marriage. Samantha's a wonderful woman. She's lucky. You're lucky as well. You're way luckier than she is, but it's fair. Um, it all works out. Yeah, it 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 all works out. It you guys are great out. together, and uh, glad you guys had a great honeymoon. And yeah, we have we have we have it's full on football season now. We got a lot to talk about on this podcast, so we're we're gonna be here probably weekly for the most part this season. Yeah, yeah. Or try at least, um, and we'll for sure talk dogs every week. Seahawks will probably be just depending on what happens. They'll be they'll be um, mentioned every week. How about that? We can. We they'll can they'll be mentioned. They, yeah, we will say at least the the name Seahawks on on the podcast every week, and then uh, Mariners. I mean, they're going to be relevant until they're out at this point. So yeah, um, it's 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 an exciting time to be a sports fan in Seattle right now. So ride with it because it it's not always the case. This th- this time last year was not great <laughs> so so let's ride this wave right now and um and yeah can't 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 be excited enough for for the, this next weekend and and what's to come in these games all right 
Thanks for listening, folks. As, as always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor link in our description. I cannot talk at this point. So until next time. Go Hawks. Go big one. And go dogs. The big one.